This is the Writing Women newsletter, and we have a special treat for you today. We're interviewing author Terry Korth Fisher, who happens to be one of the Writing Women. Okay, Terry, tell us about yourself. Well, I uh, I live in Texas. I've lived here for about uh, 40 years, actually more than 40 years. But before that, I lived uh, all over the Midwest, South Dakota, Nebraska, Illinois, Ohio, uh, before I settled here. So I'm kind of a nomad. And uh, I've been writing for, oh, I don't know, I would say maybe 30 years. But my beginning writing was just with family. You know, so I shared with my sister, my cousin, my mother. Um, we sent little packets back and forth. and. Uh, just had fun writing. And then uh, my sister and I decided to go to a writer's conference. And in doing that, we decided maybe we should be a little more professional. And so after we got all excited about uh, the conference and all whipped up and enthusiastic like you do when you go to those kind of gatherings, uh, I came back and submitted a short story. And uh, was the very first time I'd ever tried to publish or even send anything to anybody that wasn't a relative. And uh, about 15 minutes after I sent send, I had a request for contract. And I was just, that was the beginning and I love to write and I've been writing ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So many people count up, you know, the rejections by the dozens before they get an acceptance. And you got one right off the bat. I think it was a quirk, but it was a nice quirk for me. I enjoyed it. Uh, I do spend uh, my beginning years in writing. I worked full time. And so I did a lot of, you know, weekend writing, not, not everyday writing. And uh, since I've retired, uh, I have a lot more uh, time to spend working on things that I really, really enjoy doing. So so I write um, short stories, memoir, and mystery, and I enjoy uh, writing all of them. So I understand you have some big news. My big news is that this week I have a mystery coming out. It is uh, the second book in a, a, a series about a middle-aged police detective uh, in the Midwest. So the book is titled uh, Gone Before. It's the second book in the Roy Naismith Mysteries. Uh, each book, so the first was called Gone Astray, but each book is an independent novel. You don't need to read them in order. They are uh, uh, adventures that star or the protagonist is, is Roy Naismith. And in this particular book, uh, he has uh, kind of settled in and he's been given the honor of being the Grand Marshal for the 4th of July uh, festivities in the small town of Winterset, Nebraska. And uh, he feels honored by it until the day starts and he discovers that there's kind of a curse that goes with uh, being the uh, Grand Marshal. And uh, he finds that he has lots of duties he wasn't quite prepared for. And so as the day progresses, he's uh, quite happy to step away from uh, or being relieved of his duties 
and uh, runs a call for the police department, actually for the sheriff's department as a favor, and ends up uh, behind the 4-H building, out behind uh, everything that's happening out at the uh, county fairgrounds, and ends up uh, making a huge discovery, which then leads us into the book. And uh, I have a little excerpt that I'd like to share. This is uh, from the beginning chapters. This is when Rory has gone behind the 4-H building and uh, he's in pursuit. Uh, he hasn't seen the criminal or the uh, perpetrator yet. Um, he's just looking for him and it's kind of on a riverbank. He ends up there and as he climbs up over the rocks, his smooth soled shoes slip and his foot gets down, uh, caught down in the boulders. And so uh, this is from that chapter. So he really gets, he gets in trouble before he even has a case. He's just looking for an odd intruder. And suddenly he's in big trouble. So let's listen to the excerpt. Four missed calls. Crap. He found Rookie in the contacts, punched it, and impatiently waited while it rang. As soon as Thacker's deep, commanding voice answered, Rory cut him off. Thacker, Naismith here. I'm at the fairgrounds. Do you know where the Missouri River bends in behind the forage building? About a half a mile from the railway bridge? Then, yes, there's a poplar grove on that side. I could use your assistance. He scowled when Thacker explained that he was assigned to direct fairground traffic at ten. No, this is more important. And Thacker, Roy swallowed hard, bring a crowbar and a shovel. Roy heard Thacker coming before he saw him, split and polished, dressed in his police blues with a broad face that would give him a perpetual look of youth. He stepped out from the tree line and said, The band's still playing at the pavilion, but it won't be long before the mass exodus to town. He carried an army trenching tool in one hand and the tire jack handle from the police cruiser in the other. He raised them in a show-and-tell manner for Rory to see. I'm scheduled to report at ten. Until I go on duty, I'm yours. The police radio crackled at his shoulder. This is more important. It won't take long. Rory had managed to shift his weight and with his free leg extended over the rocks achieve a semi-natural reclining position as if he were relaxing while perched on the large boulders and taking in a view of the river. His predicament couldn't have been evident to the young officer. Moving closer, Thacker said, What's up? I got my damn foot caught in the rocks. Thacker frowned. He placed the tools on a nearby boulder and took an oversized flashlight from his belt. He pointed the light beam down the crevice. Roy leaned out of the way, giving him as wide a berth as possible. "'I can't see a thing,' the rookie said. "'Pull your pant leg out of the way. "'I think my guardian angel is off for the fourth. The detective studied the cloudless sky and tried not to think about his foot. It didn't work. "'Use the crowbar and break one of these frickin' stones loose.' The jack handle didn't do the trick. Opening the trenching tool and using the pick end, Thacker swung it against the largest stone. It bounced off the surface. Rory suppressed a scream as pain shot from his knee down his encased leg. Easy! Sorry, boss. 
Try removing one of the cornerstones, loosen them, and maybe we'll be able to budge these. I'll hold the light. You make room for those damn jaws to unclamp. Try finding the cornerstone. A fine layer of perspiration covered Roy's face. He felt defeated and a little nauseous. He leaned back on his elbows and looked at the sky. Thacker, he said, this is damn unlucky. The rookie moved down the mound to the edge of the pile. Using the crowbar and a lot of muscle, he attacked. Finally, he was able to roll one stone out of position, then another. He was still three feet from Roy's crevice, working his way toward the more enormous boulders and Roy's ultimate freedom, when the rock he was prying loose rolled out of place. He hesitated. There's something funny here, boss. I could use a good laugh. Not ha-ha funny, peculiar funny. Tell me anyway. There's someone else in this rock pile. What? Roy sat up too quickly and swallowed the pain. What did you say? Thacker whipped another flashlight out and pointed the beam into the pit where the boulder had been. He slowly moved his head from side to side. His face, unnaturally lit, glowed like a Halloween jack-o'-lantern. There's a human foot down here. Rory rolled his eyes up as the statement registered. Hilarious, Thacker. I don't need. It appears to be female. She has on a torn sandal, dried blood, and... Don't touch anything! Roy couldn't believe they had unearthed a body on the bank of the Missouri. He shifted into a position that relieved the pressure on his knee. Come around from the other side and dig me out, now! I better call this in. The detective grimaced. Give me out first. You know WPD is better at moving violations than major crimes. We should take a look around before the hordes arrive and trample the area. We'll lose any chance to collect evidence. Thacker immediately moved to the opposite side and began to dig in earnest. With his proven technique and the right tools, he soon removed the keystone holding Rory captive. Yow! moaned Rory, pulling his foot free. As soon as it was removed, his stocking ballooned over the sides of his leather shoe. The whole appendage began to throb. Thacker helped him to stand, but Roy couldn't balance on his own. His leg was too damaged, and his foot proved too tender to support his weight. His only recourse was to hop over to the exposed body on one foot, while ignoring the wretched knee and aided by, by a young and sturdy right shoulder. Thacker pointed the flashlight beam into the hole. Roy closed his eyes. Who was he kidding? They needed to bring in portable floodlights or wait until sunup if they expected to see anything. It was a woman's foot, all right. Only the foot. If there was more, it was under the river rock. He was a detective, not an archaeologist. They were going to need assistance. Roy called it in. That was just the beginning of Roy's problems. And... It, the story takes off from there. So maybe I'd like to share a little bit about uh, Winterset, Nebraska, which is where uh, all of our adventures take place, all of Rory's adventures take place. It's a small fictional town of about 11,000. It's in the northeastern corner of Nebraska, which is what they call Siouxland. You know, so you have South Dakota and Nebraska and Missouri and the Missouri River. And uh, although it's a small town, it's still a thriving town because uh, it's the county seat. 
and there's a community college there. Um, and it's within driving distance of a major city, uh, actually a couple major cities. And so they're not isolated, uh, although they are rural. And it has kind of a low crime rate. Uh, that is until Rory shows up, not because Rory showed up, but until he uh, is taken into the police department and becomes their uh, dedicated and only police detective. Um, and the reason I picked this is that as I was a kind of a nomad when I was younger, uh, our grandparents lived in Nebraska. And so I spent every summer of my childhood in Nebraska up in this uh, northeastern corner. And I consider that kind of like my hometown. And it has uh, great memories for me, uh, the towns, the farms, the people. Um, the attitudes, and uh, so I, I'm just real comfortable writing about that setting. So is the town itself built on the town that you used to go to? It is, and it is, but I don't know that I want to name it. I don't right. uh, want to name it, but yes, there it is based on on a on a town. And uh, actually, at one time in the beginning of writing uh, the first book, Gone Astray, I actually went on a field trip and took lots of photographs. Here's the, you know, what the park looks like. Here's what the police station looks like. Here's what a front, you know, front the main street looks like in town. Uh, ate in a diner, you know, just kind of, you know deposited myself in the setting to kind of get the feel for what is it like now. And it is very much uh, a small town, many small towns, whether it's Nebraska or Texas or Virginia for that matter. My protagonist, Rory, uh, to talk about him just a little bit. Like I said, he's in his 50s. He's had a full career. He was a detective, a decorated detective in a city department, and then he had a heart attack. And this uh, takes place before any of my novels. Uh, so as he comes in as my protagonist, he has this uh, physical condition where he's not physically, he's up to par because he can pass all the uh, requirements, but he uh, mentally is afraid that he can't do what he used to do. And so he has this mm, fear that he isn't going to measure up. And so uh, part of his flaw, if you will, <laughs> is that he has to discover, he has to reach inside himself in order to feel comfortable in, in solving the crimes. So he has the knowledge, he has the experience, he just doesn't have the confidence. And so the first book uh, carries you through that journey of his life. In the second book, the one that's just releasing, he's been accepted in and he's feeling pretty good about himself. Personal, his personality is he's kind of a curmudgeon. He's challenged by technology. And so uh, he, you know, likes to have uh, someone else input his data on his computer. He types with the two, four fingers, you know, he uh, 
Uh, he bows down to it, but he always complains a little bit if he if he has to do something that's uh, up to the date technology going on. And he's further handicapped in this story. In this, yes, in this story, unfortunately, this little mishap at the riverbank actually leaves him injured, and he stays injured pretty much throughout the whole. Uh, the whole novel, and it still, it still manages to do his job as you know, Wonder Boy detective. So awesome! And do we have any idea? Is there going to be another one? Oh, absolutely! So uh, when I started to write the first one, uh, I was just kind of um, excited with the idea of writing a novel. And then after I was maybe, I think probably toward the end of the first draft, but before any of the revisions, uh, just absolutely loved my characters. I have some, you know, pretty quirky guys <laughs> and girls, and uh, I love them. And I just like, you know, even the town, it's, it's such a fun place to be. And when you're spending hours writing, which is what it takes for a novel length uh, manuscript, uh, it's really nice to to work with something that you enjoy. And so I had decided then that, yeah, that I would do at least three books in a series. And so uh, first one was published last year, Gone Astray. This one is uh, coming out on the 17th, which I think we've passed. Which I think is probably the day before this newsletter is going to be published. So we can say it just came out yesterday depending and on when it just was released yesterday yeah and the uh third book that i have already planned is uh probably 90 percent drafted uh and i have a working title for it called gone crazy and uh it's a further adventure uh in winterset it has my cast of characters rory's love interest which is uh esther mullins and the rookie, who is uh, Clarence Thacker, and um, the neighbor, who is the handyman neighbor, Axel Barrows, and uh, others that that you'll meet if you've read uh, the first one. Uh, they're back again, and if you haven't met them, I uh, encourage you to to meet them. They're they're a lot of fun. So in the third book, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but we're pretty much settled in on town and uh, we're progressing along and stuff just happens. <laughs> so we're, we've got an adventure going there. Will there be more after that? I don't know. That's uh, I'm hoping that the third one will be uh, ready and out uh, this time next year. And uh, in the meantime, I uh, probably will get another little... Uh, uh, itch to carry on so you may see a fourth or a fifth or who knows nice I want to ask a question like how long does a rookie stay a rookie <laughs> good question uh, so in the first book he is a rookie in the second book he really no longer is a rookie but 
he's called the rookie anyway. It's just like uh, the same way you call, you know, someone you've worked with for 12 years, the new guy, because you were there for 10 years before he started working the last 12 years. And so uh, poor Thacker is just, he's always going to be the rookie, but he has passed into uh, uh, being an officer or regular officer. And uh, in the second book, he actually gets a little temporary, um, uh, what do I want to call this, promotion, I guess, a special assignment, uh, which takes him above and beyond the level of just a regular officer. Awesome. So I'd also, if you don't mind, I'd really like if you can tell our members of our Writing Women Club about your, um, what was it, a class where you went, actually did things with the police? Oh, yeah. To so, learn more about uh, how things really work and, and how to make this hang together. Sure. So I, I believe that you need to write about what you know. And, uh, and that isn't like what you uh, studied or you know, what you took in college or workshops or whatever, but it's uh, what you can discover, what you can research and understand. And so when I set out to write a mystery, I had decided uh, that I didn't know enough about police work to actually write it and be credible with writing it. And so, uh, and I don't think that watching movies or TV, you know, actually tells you the true story. And so I didn't want to just perpetuate something that maybe wasn't true facts in the police uh, arena. And so I found that uh, a local uh, city by me ran a 12 week civilian police academy and I applied to it and was accepted and uh, so I went to a meeting every or I went to a class every week and each one had a different topic so on uh, maybe week one we learned how you know the 911 system works uh, maybe we learned how they recorded uh, uh, their reports you know, that kind of thing. Other classes, uh, we detonated bombs. We went in the SWAT house. You know, they uh, set off flash uh, bangs and uh, uh, we rode around in cars at, where they trained the policemen in how to drive and park and turn. And I mean, you don't want to ride with these guys. <laughs> I mean, they were, there wasn't enough seatbelts in that car for me. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, really eye-opening um, and uh, they were friendly. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think probably one of the, well, there were two of the of the lessons that I really, really enjoyed are the sessions. One was the dog handling. They brought the dog handlers in and they brought the dogs. You got to meet the dogs. You got to understand why they aren't pets and who they are. Uh, after the academy, I had the opportunity to go to um, the airport and actually run a training exercise with the uh, bomb sniffing dogs, 
which was kind of uh, excited. I had uh, C4 rolled in my pant cuff and uh, got in line with everybody else to go through, you know, security when you board a plane and the dog sniffed me out and all the other people in line stepped back. Who is this lady? What is she doing? Um, So that was fun. And the other one that I uh, really enjoyed is uh, they had a trailer, uh, a van, and a robot that they used when there was a bomb uh, scare. So like if there was a business that had a bomb scare or whatever, they would then call in the bomb squad and the bomb squad would take the uh, van down and they'd set the robot out and the robot would run up to whatever the they suspected of having containing a bomb, whether it's a box or a room or whatever. And of course the uh, uh, robot could get a lot closer than a police officer could or, or anyone else. And the robot would then send photographs back into the van, which is where we were watching what was happening. And then the uh, officer that was leading the training said, well, look at this. Can anybody tell us anything about uh, this bomb out here? Well, I had spent 30 years working with little boards and electronic equipment. And when I looked at that, I knew exactly where the batteries were and what was attached and what wasn't attached. And so I said, well, what I see is there's three batteries, and but only one of them is attached. And the guy looked at me and said, well, how do you know how a bomb is made? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, no. It's because I'm a cash register person. <laughs> so, but it was, uh, I really enjoyed it. And if uh, if anybody uh, has an opportunity to, to, uh, to do any of that kind of thing, sign up for the training like that. Uh, it's, it, this one was done as a public relations uh, with the community. You know, we're not bad guys. We're the police. We're not bad guys. Come and learn what we do and what we uh, what we have to offer here, what we have to offer. But it was really good. It was really good. There were a lot of, uh, say, widows that wanted to learn how, you know, to protect themselves now that they were living alone. Uh, there were some militia type people in the class. Uh, I was the only writer and I didn't actually say I'm here to scout out you know, procedures, but I was writing notes, frantically writing notes to, uh, to check later. And, uh, and it, it really gave me a feel for what is and what isn't, you know, so I may have still made a couple of mistakes, but with that, uh, with that class, and then those connections, you know, you can call those guys and say, hey, if I'm going to have this happen in my story, is that something you will do? And, and they'll tell you, you know, they're, uh, of course, if there isn't anything police-wise going on, they're happy to have somebody to chat with or have a cup of coffee and do so. It was an it was a nice uh, it was a nice connection to make, and I I learned a lot by doing that. Wow, I wonder how many cities have things like that. How did you I think, find out well, about it? Yeah, all of the big ones do. You know, so like I, I live in the city of Houston and the city of Houston has one, but it was really it's really hard to get into that academy uh, because there are so many people, you know, four million people. And how, I don't know how many of them want to be in uh, part of this, but I had applied for two or three years and never got into the class. And I think it was just because of the volume of people. This one actually happened to be the city of Pasadena, which I live on the 
Houston border of that city. So I do all of my shopping in that city. I belong to a church in that city. I, you know, so I had connections to it and, and they were happy to let me uh, be part of that, which I was glad I did have the opportunity. Well, that's exciting. I, I think I'd love to do something like that. If I ever thought I had the skill to write a mystery novel. Well, I have read your first book, and I really look forward to reading this one because I think your characters are, they're the kind of people I'd like for friends. Oh, thank you. So they're, they're very real. The plots hang together. I just love them. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I will say that when I sat down to write it, um, I didn't want to write a thriller. You know, I wanted to write what I call a traditional mystery. You know, so I didn't want a, a lot of graphic violence. I didn't want uh, sex. I didn't want swearing, you know, and so I wanted what I would call a clean book, you know, something that my grandmother could read or my stepdaughter could read and I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. And I wanted the characters to be people that I liked, you know, so the bad guy is a bad guy, but he's got a couple of good traits too. And I think the Good guys are believable. At least I, you know, knock on wood. I hope that I they're believable. That. Um, but they're fun. I, I, I enjoy them. So there will be links to the books and in the text of this. Thank you. This was fun. Good. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Dixie. Leave your comments and we appreciate any comments we get. Thank you. Bye. Bye.